This is Freddy Krueger, and you're listening to Treks in Sci-Fi with your host, Rico. You're my podcaster now, Dosty. <laughs> Happy Halloween. It was the summer of 1997, and I was at my cabin in northern Minnesota in an old, out-of-the-way town that's about 45 minutes south of the Canadian border. It is very remote, and I had very few neighbors. The closest person was maybe 10 miles away. One night, I had fallen asleep probably around 11 or so, and a couple of hours later I woke up. There was a very bright orange light outside my front window, and my first thought was, My God, that's quite a bright firefly. It was kind of bobbing up under the eaves, and I thought, My God, and it was just extremely bright. So then I thought, This is not a firefly. I kept looking at it, and then suddenly I thought, Maybe it's some kind of weird person with a peculiar flashlight or something. I don't know. Well, it was bobbing around. It really looked like a giant firefly. You know how they fly and hover and bob around? That was exactly what it looked like. It stayed there. I started to get kind of unnerved, and at one point I was staring at it thinking, well, maybe this is a person with some kind of strange lantern or something. Then I remember thinking, oh my God, this is not human. Then I got really absolutely terrified. I'd never been so scared in my life. I was by myself at the cabin, which was unusual. I was typically up there with somebody, or at least I had a dog or something with me, but this time I was completely alone. I remember just that terror, and I turned my back to the light. I turned over on my side, and I remember feeling kind of paralyzed and speechless, and that's all I remember. It was as though I was asleep, as though I were under anesthesia. That's kind of what it felt like. You know how an anesthesiologist says, count backward from ten? I think I would have reached six, and that would have been it. I woke up the next day at high noon. That was weird, too. So, okay, so I woke up, and I was lying on my back in bed with my arms at my sides, and my eyes just popped open, which is unusual. I usually wake up really slowly and stretch and roll over and whatnot, but not that morning. It was really weird. I was lying flat on my back, and my eyes just popped open. I felt very refreshed. I I felt okay. I don't have any memory except the falling asleep and the fear and then waking up the next morning at noon. It was very unnerving. I know it's really strange. I sometimes kid around about it now, and my coworkers think I'm a lunatic because I will ton-in-cheek say, Oh, I think I've been abducted, you know, uh, by aliens. I don't know. Written by Emily from Southern California. And you're listening to Treks in Sci-Fi, the special scary, spooky Halloween show. Welcome to the show, everyone. Is everyone excited for Halloween, or did you have a good Halloween if you're listening to this later? This is Rico, and you're listening to Treks in Sci-Fi, podcast 355 for October the 30th, 2011. I thought I'd start out the show right with a story uh, this week on this special, scary, spooky Halloween uh, podcast for Treks in Sci-Fi. I wanted to get right into it. Uh, What we're going to do today is something a little different. I'm not going to talk about the usual stuff. 
uh, and Trek and, and sci-fi and television movies and all of that. Although I, I will say, I just saw recently Puss in Boots, good movie, fun movie. We saw it with Lynn last night, uh, but that's all on, on the news and things that I'm going to report on, I think. Just this week, I wanted to do something a little more fun and in a way kind of casual, but in a way not. Uh, I've got a, uh, a book that I'm going to read some stories out of that was suggested by Marco on the forums. It's uh, Jim Harold's Campfire True Ghost Stories. Actually, Marco on the forum has a story in this that I'm going to read later on on today's podcast. We've also got some uh, scary and spooky stories from our podcast listening audience. Uh, and you guys uh, sent in some of those, and I'm going to play those today on the show and a few other little treats along the way, too. So uh, I hope you really enjoy this. I, I really enjoy Halloween. I get a big kick out of it. I, I usually dress up in some kind of a costume, try to scare the kids. I've done uh, fairly uh, elaborate things sometimes years in the past, although this year, I don't know, it's maybe busy with a lot of things going on, but I'm not doing a lot this year. <laughs> there isn't really much besides a pumpkin on our porch right now on our house. Uh, haven't decorated very much, but I used to along, I know if, uh, several years ago, I would dress up in some kind of old clothing and we have a pretty big porch here, and I would and I would sit very still on the porch, and it was sort of you know it would be kind of dark on Halloween, and I would kind of plant myself there. Uh, usually during the week, I would have sort of some kind of a stuffed dummy there on the porch, and then I would on Halloween night I would sort of take the place of that dummy, and I would lay really still. And like I said, it was it would be pretty dark. We'd have usually walk lights along our uh, walkway up to our uh, house into the front door. But I would I would lay really still, and then when little kids would come up, I I would move or or or, or you know scream or yell or, or or say boo or something like that. And some of them, uh, they they I think they were probably not sleeping a whole lot that night after they uh, left the Dosty house. So uh, it's a good holiday. It's a lot of fun. I, I you know it's uh, it's interesting how it's changed a little bit over the years. In the neighborhood we live in, we usually get quite a few trick or treaters. I know. A lot of places uh, don't get that many anymore. It's 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 kind of become tainted with a lot of issues and a lot of problems. And it, it's I can remember as a kid growing up for Halloween that we would just go crazy in our neighborhoods. We would go to all the houses. We would come back with so much candy it was unreal. I remember pouring out the bag of candy on my bed, and it would just cover the whole bed with candy. <laughs> so it's uh, it's it's one of my favorite holidays. I, I love it. I think it's. I think it's really cool and fun for people to be able to dress up, even if you're an adult, you know, dress up. Uh, we had a, a work Halloween party just Friday at, at uh, where I work at now, and they go pretty all out. It's probably the most elaborate stuff that I've ever seen a, a, a workplace do. Uh, they decorate in different departments, decorate with different themes, uh, and uh, it was uh, it was cool, and there was a lot of food and candy around, uh, pretty much uh you know, half the day was spent doing all that and, and didn't do a whole lot of work that day. But I think that's kind of fun uh, to do that. And I think they, uh, you know, it's it's good to, uh, you know, let yourself loose a little bit now and then. I, I always think it's interesting, though, who will dress up and who won't dress up. And I, and I always think that the people who don't dress up are kind of stiffs and just kind of, you know, eh, just be a kid again for a day. It's it's fun. So uh, anyway, without any further ado, I hope everyone is 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 going to or had a great Halloween. I, I wish you well on that. I am going to get right into it now. We're gonna play a story here in a moment from uh, our friend Meds from the UK has sent in a tale that I think you guys are gonna enjoy. And then I'll be back and, and kind of narrate during uh, the different stories who's coming up and what's up. And uh, and I'll sprinkle in a couple things else uh, other things on my own so uh, here we go hi Rico hello Treks and Sci-Fi this is Meds here happy Halloween to you all um, this is a story that I'm about to read it's a well-known story it's an urban myth story I always find those ones quite fantastic in fact I heard this uh, back in around about 1982 or 83 and uh, in when I was on camp uh, with the scouts, and it scared the living darts out of me, especially as I, being the oldest of everyone, had to do the walk down the uh, country lanes uh, to close the gates. And when you have to you hear this story, you don't really want to be walking around on your own. Anyway, I hope you enjoy it, and uh, look forward to hearing the podcast. Take care. A young couple were happily driving home well after midnight one night. 
They had enjoyed a party until the early hours of the morning and were exhausted, both looking forward to getting home and retiring to bed with the sounds of the party still ringing in their ears. The boys, suddenly feeling that the night was still young, abruptly took a detour off the main road home. It happened that that road they were already on was fairly desolate and surrounded by thick foliage and a dense forest as it was, but now had chosen a gravel road, one that looked as if nobody had driven down it for quite a long time, with even thicker shrub that was occasionally scraping down the sides of the old car they were driving. Waking up and wondering where they were going, the girl inquired as to where their destination was. The boy admitted he felt like going for a bit of a drive and spending some quality time alone with his girlfriend. He had in mind somewhere dark and secluded where no interruptions were going to take place. Although the girl was tired, she agreed to the new plans, knowing that the boy was far too pushy for her to say no. It was a slow drive down the newly chosen dirt road, and the car headlights did nothing to penetrate the thick black night and scrub that surrounded them. Unexpectedly, the car hit something in the road. Not knowing what it was, the boy stopped immediately and hopped out to investigate. Oh no, he exclaimed, as he spied a large log wedged underneath. He turned to see that there was also now a large stream of smoke screaming from the old car. The boy kicked at the log, knowing that he would need to do more than just kick it to dislodge it from under the car. It's just my luck, he thought, as he got in the vehicle and told the girl of what had happened. Wincing, he attempted to restart the vehicle, but being an early model from the 1980s, the car complained loudly and then died before it even really fired up. The starter lights showed, but no amount of persuading would start the car properly. I'm going to have to walk back to the main road for help, he said, shaking his head and gripping the useless steering wheel in front of him. Stay in the car and I'll be back soon, was his last words, as he climbed out of the vehicle, hunched his shoulders and walked off into the darkness on his own. Although the girl did not like the idea of spending the rest of the night alone out on a dirt road, God knows where, she was too tired to be bothered to go out with him and sleepily thought of how she might nestle down in the passenger seat and dream while he was getting some help. Anyways, it was his idea to come out in the first place. She watched him in the side mirror for as long as she could see him, which was very long at all. He seemed to be swallowed up by the night and she thought in the back of her mind how stupid he was to have taken this road in the first place. While happily drifting off to sleep, she wondered if he'd be back before dawn, and also how on earth he would find help when they had seen no traffic on the made road anywhere. Startled, she awoke suddenly. What was that? Sleepy confusion was flogging her thoughts as she shook her head with this distinct impression that something had happened whilst she was asleep, something that woke her but had now passed or stopped. Peering out of the windscreen into the side mirror, all she could see was darkness and more darkness. The night was as quiet as anything. Hadn't she heard night noises before? Why on earth was it so still and quiet now? Surely something must have woken her. On edge and feeling cold and shaking from being pulled from such a deep sleep, she now wished she had have noted the time when her boyfriend had gone for help. Checking her watch, it seemed as though dawn was about to break through. The trees at any moment. It was now 4.30am. Where did he go? It must have been around 2 or 2.30, surely. Her mind started slipping backwards to see if she could conjure up a memory of exactly what time he had left for help. It was ages ago, she admitted to herself. The night was unbelievably quiet now, need I say, dead quiet, and she had the distinct impression that she wasn't alone. Not being able to see anything in front or behind her, she hoped he was her boyfriend returning with health. Goosebumps were beginning to show themselves on her arms, and their hair on the back of her neck started to rise up as the blackness outside suddenly seemed to move. I must be going mad, she said out loud to nobody in particular. She decided that she'd had enough and went for the keys left in the ignition to see if she could get the headlights working. As she stretched over to the driver's seat, there was a loud thump on the roof of the car. Her instant reaction was to jump, nearly hitting her head in the roof cover and back into the seat, looking madly around, but distinctively not moving a muscle. It became apparent to her that she did see something move outside of the car in the darkness. Thump! Thump! The loud noise happened again and a small scream escaped from her mouth. What do I do? What is it? Somebody help me! All these thoughts running through her mind. I'm alone out here in the darkness. What on earth do I do? Thump! And he goes again. Somebody is up there. Tears of utter fear and horror called from her eyes and down her cheeks. There was no help. She was alone, and there was most probably something on the roof 
about to get her. Thump again, and thump, thump. The fear overcame her. She decided that she wouldn't be her sitting duck. She would open the door and make a run for it. If she couldn't see the thick darkness of the night, surely the thing couldn't. Thump, thump, thump. Again. Fumbling with the lock, the door handle, it just wouldn't work. She couldn't get the door open. Tears began streaming down her eyes, blurring her vision. Suddenly the door opened, and nearly dislodging it from its hinges, she was so terrified and confused, she made an exit. She fell head first from the car and landed flat on her face in the dirt. As she was attempting to both crawl and regain her feet and run, bright lights suddenly flooded the area. She could only see the bulbs and dark shadows behind the lights. She was rapidly succumbing to shock, and she heard some voice saying something into a loudspeaker. Dazed and back on her feet, she could only think to stumble in an unladylike fashion towards the bright lights. Shading her eyes, she could still hear the voice. It sounded like a fairly authoritative voice, and it was giving her some sort of instructions to her. Again, the voice repeated, Lady, move away from your car towards us. Whatever you do, do not look back. Again, Mom, would you please continue moving forward? Do not look back. Face us, and do not look back. She was now on the brink of fainting, and could only fall forwards towards those bright lights. She was caught by a man in a uniform, and she recognised to be from the local police department, and could suddenly see past the lights. There was possibly ten to fifteen squad cars, dead at the police officer with guns drawn. Before she lost consciousness, she decided there was one last thing she had to do. She struggled to flip over and face the car. On the roof of the car, what appeared to be a monster, what could it be a deformed human, had a large stick in its hands and was drooling madly as it laughed and banged its stick on the car roof. She did not miss at the end of that stick was her boyfriend's head. Oh, thanks so much for that, Meds. Very cool, and I, I love urban legends, and I, I really appreciate you sending that in. I know uh, it takes a lot to uh, to read stories and, and, and submit those and get that all done, so I really appreciate it, and thank you so much for that. Uh, next up, uh, somebody suggested this on the forum, and I thought this would be a cool thing to put in, too, for a couple of reasons. Uh, I've uh, always enjoyed and, and been a big fan of uh, Edgar Allan Poe. And what we have next for you is uh, the company QMX did a, a series of videos uh, with uh, sort of a master series of classics of sci-fi and that and performed by different artists. And what you're going to hear now is The Raven by Edgar Allan Poe as read by John Delancey. Yes, Q from TNG is going to read this for all of you. So uh, listen to uh, John read The Raven. Once upon a midnight dreary, while I pondered weak and weary over a many quaint and curious volume of forgotten lore, while I nodded, nearly napping, suddenly there came a tapping, as of someone gently rapping, rapping at my chamber door. "'Tis some visitor, I muttered, tapping at my chamber door. Only this, and nothing more. Oh, distinctly I remember. It was in the bleak December, and each separate dying ember wrought its ghost upon the floor. Eagerly I wished the morrow. Vainly I had sought to borrow from my books a cease of sorrow, sorrow for the lost Lenore, for the rare and radiant maiden whom the angels named Lenore, nameless here forevermore. And the silken, sad, uncertain rustling of each purple curtain thrilled me, filled me with fantastic terrors never felt before, so that now to still the beating of my heart I stood repeating, "'Tis some visitor entreating entrance at my chamber door, some late visitor entreating entrance at my chamber door. This it is, and nothing more." Presently my soul grew stronger. Hesitating then no longer, Sir, I said, or oh, madam, truly your forgiveness I implore, but the fact is I was napping, and so gently you came rapping, and so faintly you came tapping, tapping at my chamber door, that I scarce was sure I heard you. Here I open wide the door. Darkness there, and nothing more. Deep into the darkness peering, long I stood there wondering, fearing, doubting, 
dreaming dreams no mortal ever dared to dream before. But the silence was unbroken, and the stillness gave no token, and the only word there spoken was the whispered word, Lenore. This I whispered, and an echo murmured back the word, Lenore. Merely this, and nothing more. Back into the chamber turning, all my soul within me burning. Soon again I heard a tapping somewhat louder than before. Surely, said I, surely that is something at my window lattice. Let me see then where they're at is, and this mystery explore. Let my heart be still a moment, and this mystery explore. Tis the wind, and nothing more. Open here I flung the shutter, when with many a flirt and flutter in there stepped a stately raven of the saintly days of yore. Not the least obeisance made he, not a minute stopped or stayed he, but with mien of lord or lady perched above my chamber door, perched upon a bust of palace just above my chamber door, perched and sat, and nothing more. Then this ebony bird beguiling my sad fancy into smiling by the grave and stern decorum of the countenance it wore, though thy crest be shorn and shaven, thou, I said, art sure no craven, ghastly grim and ancient raven, wandering from the nightly shore, tell me what thy lordly name is on the night's Plutonian shore, quoth the raven, nevermore. Much I marveled this ungainly fowl to hear discourse so plainly, though its answer little meaning, little relevancy bore. For we cannot help agreeing that no living human being ever yet was blessed with seeing bird above his chamber door, bird or beast upon the sculptured bust above his chamber door, with such name as nevermore. But the raven sitting lonely on that Placid bus spoke only that one word, as if his soul in that one word did outpour. Nothing further than he uttered, not a feather than he fluttered, till I scarcely more than muttered, other friends have gone before. On the morrow he will leave me as my hopes have flown before. Then the bird said, Nevermore. Startled at the stillness broken by reply so aptly spoken, Doubtless, said I, what it utters is his only stock in store, Caught from some unhappy master, whom unmerciful disaster Followed fast and followed faster, till his songs one burden bore, Till the dirges of his hope that melancholy burden bore Of never, never more. But the raven, still beguiling my sad soul into smiling, straight I wielded a cushioned seat in front of bird and bust and door. Then upon the velvet sinking, I betook myself to linking fancy unto fancy, thinking what this ominous bird of yore, what this grim, ungainly, ghastly, gaunt, and ominous bird of yore meant in croaking nevermore. Thus I sat engaged in guessing, but no syllable expressing to the fowl whose fiery eyes now burned into my bosom's core. This and more I sat divining, with my head at ease reclining on the cushion's velvet lining that the lamplight gloated o'er, but whose velvet violet lining with the lamplight gloating o'er she shall press, oh, nevermore. Then methought the air grew denser, perfumed from an unseen censer, swung by seraphin, whose footfall tinkled on the tufted floor. Wretch, I cried, thy God hath lent thee, by these angels he hath sent thee. Respite, respite, and nepenthe from my memories of Lenore. Quaff, oh, quaff this kind nepenthe, and forget this lost Lenore, quoth the raven, nevermore. Prophet, I said, thing of evil, prophet, still of bird or devil, whether tempter sent or whether tempest tossed thee here ashore, desolate, yet all undaunted, on this desert land enchanted, on this home by horror haunted, tell me truly, I implore, is there, is there balm in Gilead, tell me, tell me, I implore, quoth the raven, nevermore. Prophet, I said, thing of evil, prophet, still of bird or devil, by that heaven that 
thines above us by that God we both adore, tell this soul with sorrow laden, if within the distant Aden it shall clasp a saintly maiden, whom the angels name Lenore, clasp a rare and radiant maiden, whom the angels name Lenore, quoth the raven, nevermore. Be that word our sign of parting, bird or fiend, I shrieked upstarting, get thee back into the tempest and the night's plutonian shore, leave no black plume as a token of that lie thy soul has spoken, leave my loneliness unbroken, quit the bust above my door, take thy beak from out my heart and take thy form from off the door, quoth the raven, nevermore, and the raven still is flitting still is sitting still is sitting on the pallid bust of pallas just above my chamber door and his eyes have all the seeming of a demon's that is dreaming and the lamplight o'er him streaming throws his shadow on the floor and my soul from out that shadow that lies floating on the floor shall be lifted nevermore I was about 15 and my friend Bridget and I were looking for something to do after school one day and she suggested a Ouija board that had... I was about 15 and my friend Bridget and I were looking for something to do after school one day and she suggested a Ouija board that she had at home. So she pulled it out and we set it up on the floor. In order to make it a little more spooky, I guess, she turned off the lights and just had a lava lamp on for our light. It was set right next to the board. She started asking questions like, is anyone there? And it seemed to be responding and she asked for it to give us a sign. We waited, nothing happened for a while so we moved on and she kept asking other questions and out of the corner of my eye i noticed the lava lamp all of the wax was collecting in one solid ball which i thought was weird so i kept watching it and and slowly it was forming into the shape of something so i pointed it out to my friend thinking that this was our sign as we watched it shaped into the form of the head of a devil and it was so detailed, there was no way that a lava lamp could have made such detail in that. Its mouth was open, like it was growling. It had fangs, its eyes were very angry. It was facing us. It didn't move within the water of the lava lamp at all. It faced us the whole time. And then I said to my friend, oh my God, it's the devil. And we both took our hands off the board immediately and it just went back to the lava lamp bubbles. After that, I didn't play with the board much. I tried it one other time with a different friend and I made sure every light in the house was on and the windows were open, thinking the dark maybe had something to do with it. I don't know if it was evil necessarily, but it went away and it wasn't threatening. Maybe it was something playing a joke on us, a spirit, I don't know. I think it was something and it was definitely something that piqued my curiosity. I'm very fascinated with the paranormal, Ouija boards, tarot cards, and those things. I think something had to have made it that, do that in the lava lamp that day. Written by Leanne from Utah, and that is a story called Lucifer in the Lamp. And that is also from Jim Harold's Campfire True Ghost Stories book. Rico. This is Bill Compton from Bontemps, Louisiana, and I was wanting to wish you a happy Halloween from all of us down here. Good day, sir. Next up, I think we've got a treat from Vartok for all of you for Halloween, so stand by and listen to this. In the 20th century, 
mankind had extended his presence to nearby galaxies. Space travel was now just a series of jumps between man-made portals, created with a little help from a thankfully friendly neighboring alien species, the Mitra. Mankind had found out a century earlier what it had always assumed to be likely true. We are not alone in the universe. In fact, we were the new species on the block, naive and easily managed. This is the train of thoughts passing through my brain as I look around a dark room lit by a few glowing alien consoles mounted into the rough surface walls. My body lies at an acute angle on top of a cold slab of rock hewn from the walls of this subterranean facility. My arms and feet are tightly bound in place by invisible forces tingling along the surface of my skin. The harder I work the bonds, the more it cuts into my skin, causing a great deal of discomfort. I realize my legs are tired and cramping from trying to minimize the cutting sensation. I have no recollection of how I came to be in this place, only that I'm here now. My captor, easily the most brutish alien I've ever seen, kind of like a cross between Ridley Scott's Queen Alien and an Argalian Karg. Definitely not one of those friendly Mitra. He, or it, who can tell, hesitates over the controls, using its long bony tendrils to move a few sliders and knobs. It's hard to imagine that I'm supposed to be on an exotic vacation on a friendly planet. Far from it, I'm about to be interrogated, and it's going to be bad. Unfortunately, I am in possession of data this species wants. Human, you will understand me, as our translator has easily mastered your simple language. There is little of anything about you humans of interest to my people. You are a weak, unintelligent, and fragile species. Your bodies are soft, and you have tiny brains. Our intelligence has revealed you to be a human that goes by the name of Mr. Bentley, and that you are employed by your home planet government as a technology spy. Mr. Bentley, we will find out from you shortly what we want to know. Our interrogation techniques are ingenious, you see. We capture the worst terrors and fears of each species and electronically implant them into that part of their primitive brains that processes fear. It is much easier for us that way. You will be telling me everything I want to know in a few moments. What could I possibly have that would be of interest to you people? We know that you are in possession of some digital information that is of special interest to my superiors. This headpiece will allow me to effectively implant fears into your brain. Good lord, this is like some kind of bad sci-fi entertainment. Really? You're going to torture me for information? Well, just so you know, humans are great at resisting fear. If you've never seen human entertainment, you would realize that it's always the good guy that... You were saying, Mr. Bentley? How was that level one implanted fear? <coughs> oh, that was a bit intense. What was that lovely sensation? 
You have just experienced the pain of a human woman giving childbirth. That sensation is from our human emotion database. We have many others. Are you prepared now to provide the information we seek? Certainly you know I can't provide the information you seek. I'm a nobody. I was on my way to a vacation, and now I'm here. Let's see if this sensation changes your mind. Okay, that got, that got my high-level attention. That, that was like my spinal cord was on fire. Are you ready to provide the information? That was a level two sensation. One created by placing a human onto a glowing red metal plate. There are three more levels. You will not survive level five. I grow in patience, so please enjoy this level three implant. I am told that humans report that this feels like your arms and legs are being pulled from your body, which is exactly what we did to the prisoner who recorded this sensation for us. <laughs> I beg you, no more, please, no more. Enough, enough, enough. I, I will tell you anything, anything that you want. Just stop. I am sure that you will. But I am not finished with your session, Mr. Bentley. As you are now going to provide us with a level four sensation for our human emotion database. That is the information we seek from you now. Robert, are you awake yet? Time to get up, sleepyhead. The world in school awaits you. Okay, Mom. I'm up now. Awesome job, Bartok. I loved it. Uh, great production uh, that you put together there for all of us here on Treks in Sci-Fi. Thanks so much for doing that. And next up, uh, we've got a story of Five Little Pumpkins. Five Little Pumpkins, presented by Sally Trigg. Five Little Pumpkins Sitting on a Gate The first one said, Oh my, it's getting late. The second one said, There are witches in the air. The third one said, But we don't care. The fourth one said, Let's run and run and run!
The fifth one said, Isn't Halloween fun? Then woo went the wind. And out went the lights. And the five little pumpkins rolled out of sight. Next up, I'm going to read uh, Marco from the forums story that's in Jim Harold's Campfire Ghost Story book. Uh, the name of this story is called Staying for the Credits. It was the first or second week of April in 2004. My wife and I decided to go see a movie. Hellboy had just come out. So we went to the local movie theater here in the northwest part of New Jersey. It was just a typical day, and I'm not sure if it was Saturday or a Sunday, but we drove to the movie theater, pulled up, purchased tickets for, I believe it was the 245 show, the afternoon matinee. We just purchased tickets, went in, and did the typical stuff, went to the concession counter, purchased popcorn and a soda, then proceeded into one of the, uh, into the movie uh, theater. This was one of those cineplexes that have multiple screens, seven or ten, something like that. We went over to the boy who was taking the tickets, and he ripped them in half and pointed us in the right direction. We proceeded to go toward our theater and went inside. I like to get to the theater a little early because I like to—I don't like to fumble around when it's dark and they're playing the previews. So we entered at 2.30, 2.35, something like that. When we got there and pushed through the doors and went in, the lights were already down, and there was something on the screen playing, and it was like, oh, darn it. So we had to fumble around to find a seat, kind of in the middle center, and we thought previews were playing. After sitting down for a minute or so, my wife and I kind of looked at each other and we were like, these aren't previews. It was actually the ending of the movie we had gone to see. We could see that Hellboy was on screen and there was a lot of stuff going on, and after three or four minutes of that going on, the movie ended. We realized it was the actual movie playing, and we were kind of wondering what the heck was going on here, so the lights came up and the people were doing what they do when they get up starting to stretch and head out back of the theater. We both got up too. I got up first and I stopped uh, somebody on the way out and said, you know, I'm just curious, what show is this? The gentleman had said that this was the 245 show and that was the show we were going to see. I didn't really think much of it. I went back over and said to my wife, the gentleman says this is the 245 show, and which was the show we were going to see. We got up and followed when everybody exited and went back out the door. I went out to the lobby and I saw the kid who took my ticket, which was literally minutes ago, and asked, you remember me? He said, yes. I was a cancer patient at the time, so I didn't have hair, and I guess he kind of remembered me from that. So he said, sure, I remember you. And I said, we had tickets to go see the 245 show. And he said, yeah, that just let out. At the time, I wasn't shocked, but then I looked down at my watch. I did point out that I'm the kind of a time person. I collect watches and I'm stickler for time. I looked down at my watch and it was around 4.47. So when we entered the theater, it was like 2.35 or 2.30, something like that. And then it was 4.47. So I looked at my wife and she checked her watch too. And we kind of realized that something wasn't right. How could it be 4.47? We had just walked into the movie theater. We kind of just looked at each other and still not getting crazy with this. We went back into the movie theater and spoke about it. Then we went back outside of the lobby, checked the clocks there, and then looked outside. It was early April, and you could tell that it was later in the day than it was when we had gotten there. The sun had gone lower, and I think we just realized then that something weird had just happened. How does something like this happen? We were just dumbfounded. I don't know what to think or what to say. People have said to me, oh, that's missing time. Still, it doesn't seem that way because we walked right through that door into the movie theater and instantaneously it was two hours later, just like in the blink of an eye. Because we were confused, we thought that maybe we'd gone into the wrong showing. There were seven or ten screens there, so we walked around, and I asked the young guy, is his movie playing on other screens? He said, no, this is the only one it's playing on. I had told him what had happened, and he said, you came in a couple of hours ago. 
And that's when I felt like someone had punched me in the gut and was like, oh my God. My wife is a straight shooter. She's not into anything that's paranormal or bizarre, so I'm glad she was there with me because it validates the fact that something really bizarre happened. Then we walked around the theater for a while in such disbelief that something like this could happen, and then we actually walked in and watched. I think it was the 5 o'clock show. You know, I still had the soda in my hand. We still had the popcorn. I've had people ask me if the popcorn was gone, you know, and did you feel anything? And I've said no. We felt normal. Everything felt normal. But it was weird. The sun was farther down. The day had gone on. How do you tell this story to people? Nobody believes you or they think you're crazy. I have no idea what happened, you know. I was going through a really hard time then. I had cancer and it spread all through my body. So we were going to the movies a lot just for a distraction, you know, just for me to be around people, that sort of thing. But, you know, in my mind, I was in such good spirits. It, it was, uh, you know, I was in a, such a positive state. But I have no idea. I don't know what had happened. The only time we ever talk about it is when that movie comes on and we'll be like, oh, that's the movie when the time thing happened. People ask, what do you mean, the time thing? And then we tell them. And they're like, that's crazy, you know. People don't believe it. Again, that's by Marco from New Jersey in Jim Harold's book. So thanks so much for that. Who are you writing to, Elias? This is the time of year to write to the great pumpkin. On Halloween night, the great pumpkin rises out of his pumpkin patch and flies through the air of the bag of toys for all the children. You must be crazy. When are you going to stop believing in something that isn't true? When you stop believing in that fellow with the red suit and the white beard who goes ho, ho, ho. They are obviously separated by denominational differences. This is Henry Jones Sr. wishing you a happy Halloween, Rico. This story is called The Guests. A young man and his wife were on a trip to visit his mother. Usually they arrived in time for supper, but they had gotten a late start, and now it was getting dark. So they decided to look for a place to stay overnight and go on in the morning. Just off the road, they saw a small house in the woods. Maybe they rent rooms, the wife said. So they stopped to ask. An elderly man and woman came to the door. They didn't rent rooms, they said, but they would be glad to have them stay overnight as their guests. They had plenty of room, and they would enjoy the company. The old woman made coffee, brought out some cake, and the four of them talked for a while. Then the young couple were taken to the room. They again explained that they wanted to pay for this, but the old man said he would not accept any money. The young couple got up early the next morning, before their host had awakened. On a table near the front door, they left an envelope with some money in it for the room. Then they went on to the next town. They stopped in the restaurant and had breakfast. When they told the owner where they had stayed, he was shocked. That can't be, he said. That house was burned to the ground, and the man and the woman who lived there died in a fire. The young couple could not believe it, so they went back to the house. Only now there was no house. All they found was a burned out shell. They stood staring at the ruins, trying to understand what had happened. And the woman screamed, and the rubble was a badly burned tape, like the one they had seen by the front door. On the table was the envelope they had left that morning. <laughs> that little story is uh, from, uh, it's on YouTube called The Guests, and if you search for scary stories to tell in the dark, there's a whole series of those. I might try to play another one here uh, towards the end of the podcast, which we're uh, coming up on soon. Uh, next up, we've got a story uh, just produced and, and done by our buddy Rick Moyer over with the Take Him With You podcast and StarTrekParodies.com, all kinds of cool stuff. So take it away, Rick. I know not many people believe me, but it happened. Just the same. Some folks might think I done exaggerated this here story, but I didn't. No one will answer my letters. My family doesn't even talk to me. In fact, I haven't heard from anyone in town. It wasn't long ago on the harvest moon when it happened. 
I'd been tending to the pumpkins and squash in the back field of the place where all of a sudden I heard my livestock let out a holler. I grabbed my shotgun and I headed towards the commotion. Round in the corner in the third pasture, I saw steam rising up from the ground. Some figures darted off into the woods, so I picked up my gun and I said, Get off my land! Y'all be trespassing. Now get on out of here or you're gonna have a face full of lead. So, as I was saying, steam was rising up from that there ground in an unusually big way. Now, that's not uncommon for around here in October. But this wasn't the normal haze that drifted up off the landscape. This was something different. I smelled something odd. Kind of like the smell of blood. It was one of the cows on the ground. She's all torn up. Flesh ripped and lying everywhere. Her body was still warm. And the other cows, well, they were nowhere to be seen. I guess they got done scared and wandered off. It was the strangest thing, though. Although I smelled blood, there wasn't much of it. Ah, sure, there was like blood sprinkled on the grass by some of the body parts, but not much to speak of. I mean, when we butchered, there's a lot of blood everywhere, and one of these here cows has a lot of blood in them. <laughs> well, I poked around at the body, thinking that maybe the blood had pooled in the cavity of the big gaping hole in the cow's side, but nope, wasn't there. I found that really odd. Eh, must have been some wild animals. Maybe the coyotes ganged up on her. It's kind of rare for them, but then you never know, and they must have been what scattered when I came around the corner. Well, I headed back to the barn, got my tractor with the scoop on it, and almost didn't even turn the lights on because the moon was being so bright. I picked up the carcass of the cow, didn't want anything to go to waste, <laughs> and I brought her back to the shed where I figured I'd better not take for granted the meat. No sense in letting all that food go to waste, so I got out my knives. I carved the steaks and the ribs and the roasts. And the help of my youngins from inside, we ground that hamburger and wrapped up the meat all pretty-like threw it in the freezer. It was getting to be on late now and I needed to clean up the mess, so I let the kids head for bed. So I took the bones, the hide, and the guts to the garbage heap. It was uncommonly quiet that night. The leaves crunched under my boots as I made my way back to the house after parking the tractor. I heard a sound. Just out of my sight, I stopped. I looked around me. It was all quiet-like. The branches swayed and the leaves kind of swirled in the air. Then I heard it. The voice came out of the wind. I stopped and looked both ways, but I couldn't see anything. Someone there? I shouted. Nobody answered. I must be tired, I thought. The moisture from all my breath was soaking my beard, so I reached up with my sleeve to wipe my face and didn't even think about it. As my sleeve pulled across my face, my mouth filled with blood and tidbits of that animal flesh. Yuck. I spit it out <laughs> as quick as I could. When I got in, I put my clothes and stuff in the washing machine, told my wife, get them clean. I need them for morning. So I got myself in the shower, let that warm water fall down my face but I felt real different, like like something was tingling on the inside of me. I didn't know what it was, and there didn't seem to be much I could do about it. Then the water started turning red as the dirt and blood was washed from my body. I kept trying to get the taste of that out of my mouth. I even used that green mouthwash stuff, but it didn't help. I needed sleep. 
Butchering up a big critter like that's a lot of work. I still had to be up early for the morning chores. So I found my favorite pair of long johns, crawled into the bed. I tell you, that was the strangest night I've ever had. I tossed and I turned for what seemed hours. I kept seeing that cow in my mind, all torn up like, and it just wasn't good. I kept going over and over in my head. I'd drift off and then all of a sudden, like from deep inside, I'd hear, I am waiting for you. Sent chills down my spine. I just pulled my wife closer to me and finally drifted off. The next morning when I woke, I felt this odd sensation. Like I'd been stuck out in the rain all night. My body was soaking wet and I felt kind of groggy. My jaw was sore. I could barely get my eyes open. I turned towards my wife's side of the bed, only to be startled awake. She was staring at me all right, with horror in her eyes. She wasn't moving. Her eyes were fixed in like a screaming pose, with blood trickling down her forehead. Her body was torn and mangled next to me. I fell to the floor as my pulse just raced. I tried to push myself up off the floor, but I slipped in the blood all over my long johns. The bed was saturated, and my wife, she was dead. I had a taste of iron in my mouth, and the evidence was on my hands. What had I done? I heard a commotion downstairs, but couldn't, couldn't make heads or tails out of anything. Our door was cracked open slightly, little eyes peering through the opening. The next thing I knew, the doors burst open, and there was the sheriff with his gun pointed at my face. Mr. Frank Billings, you are under arrest for the murder of Kathleen Billings. He started reading me my rights as the deputy handcuffed me. How could I have done this? What was going on? It couldn't have been me. As I was led outside, a group of ladies from our church gathered. All the neighbors were up in arms. Not very often we get lots of sirens and police cars out our way. They were talking in low tones to my children. We're going to have a funeral service for your mommy on Saturday. We'll take care of everything, you poor, poor souls. I just looked over. The children wouldn't look me in the eye. My oldest girl wiped a tear from her eye and said, Thank you. We'll do anything we can do to help. Oh, don't worry. We have more than enough food for everyone. We just put up a cow last night. It's then that I realized. They put me in the sheriff's car with my legs shackled, my hands cuffed. The funeral home van pulled up to the house. Neighbors are coming from the right and the left. All I could do was hear sirens all around the area. Who's going to take care of my kids? What was I going to do? Yet I still had this odd sensation, like a simmering monster inside of me. I'm waiting for you. At moments it would boil up and almost speak, and then it'd go back on down. The sheriff and the detective got into the car. Frank, I don't get it, he said to me. What happened to you? Why'd you do this? I didn't know how to answer. It's as if my body just pulsed and went stiff at the words. And then all of a sudden, without warning, spewing out of my mouth, I just looked him right in the face. And I said, You know, Chef, you are what you eat. Oh, that's great, Rick. Uh, amazing uh, job on that in production. 
Uh, he's called uh, Harvest Moon Circle, and uh, I think uh, just you guys are doing great with those, and it's just a really, really cool uh, idea and story, so thanks so much for that. Uh, I'm going to play one more uh, of these uh, scary stories to tell in the dark off of YouTube for you, and then I'll come back and we'll wrap up today's spooky and scary podcast. This story is called The Ghost with the Bloody Fingers. A businessman arrived at a hotel late one night and asked for a room. The room clerk told him the hotel was all filled up. There's only one empty room, he said. But we don't rent that one because it's haunted. I'll take it, said the businessman. I don't believe in ghosts. The man went up to the room. He unpacked his things and he went to bed. As soon as he did, a ghost came out of the closet. Its fingers were bleeding, and it was moaning. He grabbed his things and ran. Next night, a woman arrived very late. Again, all the rooms were taken, except the haunted got in bed. The ghost came out of the closet. Its fingers were still bleeding. It still was moaning. Bloody fingers. Bloody fingers. And the woman took one look at him and ran. A week later, another guest arrived. He also took the room. After he unpacked, he got out his guitar and he began to play. Soon the ghost appeared. As before, its fingers were bleeding, and it was moaning. Bloody The man paid no attention. He just kept strumming his guitar. And his fingers kept bleeding. Finally, the guitar player looked up. Cool it, man, he said. Get yourself a band-aid. <laughs> No. <laughs> yes, yeah, so that uh, ends our spooky and scary story Halloween. I want to thank uh, Meds and Vartok and Rick Moyer for your contributions and for Rob for some of his intro and voice work. And just uh, I want to wish everyone again a happy Halloween. Hope you had a great one. If you're listening to this later this week, hope this brought some uh scares and chills and just some cool uh, fun stuff to listen to for you on this this special halloween week out there uh upcoming on treks in sci-fi on the podcast is uh unknown <laughs> i haven't really set the schedule for the next few weeks in, into uh, november but check the main website treksinsci-fi.com or just go to treksf.com and it'll shoot you to the main site and i'll put the schedule up there soon uh there may be a guest host next week or it might just be me but i'll get the schedule up in the next couple of days what's upcoming for the next three or four weeks on treks in sci-fi so uh, again Thanks, everyone, for uh, the ones that sent in contributions. I hope you enjoyed it, and I will uh, talk to you again next time. Bye-bye. That sounds more a little sad than scary, doesn't it? (laughs) Take care, everyone. Bye-bye.
lady got mutilated late last night Werewolves of London again